Hey, Carrie. Hey, Parker. How are you? I'm pretty good. Life is complicated, but how is it with your soul? Uh, complicated too. Um, you know, I'm. I think like a lot of people, I'm negotiating, holding the both and that things can be one thing and another at the same time. Absolutely, and I think lots of people are there, and so we're all on the growing edge. Welcome to the growing edge. I'm Parker Palmer, and I'm Carrie Newcomer. To the words and habit between us, and to us and how we live between the words. So, Carrie, I've been looking forward to today's conversation with just us chickens. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's you and me exploring things that we explore a lot. And um, it was it was triggered, I think, for both of us, certainly for me, by a conversation we had several weeks ago where we were, we were talking about all the darkness in today's world. And we were talking about how many people are in stages of deep grief and how death itself is just circling our lives all the time. Pandemic, Ukraine, what some of us see as the dying of democracy in this country, the leak from the Supreme Court, the diminution of voting rights, the rise of white supremacy and anti-Semitism, on and on it goes. And in the middle of that conversation, for me at least, uh, I don't know how it was for you, I had this kind of upstream thought. I, I said to myself, um, I know what I'm supposed to say about all this. Um, I'm a spiritual person. I, know, I understand a fair amount about a variety of spiritual traditions. And they all say love is the answer. But somehow that, that answer feels pretty puny right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. and, and I was taken right back, of course, to a very ancient question. Love in the face of evil. Does it, does it work? Does it do any good? What are the options? Uh, and so those are some of the dimensions of, of my struggle right now. Is, is the light capable of overcoming the darkness? It's just a straight-up honest question. Again, I know what I'm supposed to say, but there are times when we just have to drop the script mm-hmm. and wrestle yeah. with the truth of our own lives. Makes sense to you? Yeah, and I remember I remember that conversation, and it was really good for me. I mean, I, it was very good to to voice these things out loud, to you know, to kind of be really honest about this is what I'm supposed to say. Um, um, you know, I'm supposed to be a half full kind of gal. I'm a folk singer, for goodness sakes. <laughs> but honestly, it's not half full or empty. I just think it's a really big glass. So, um, and complicated and very complicated right now. So, so wrestling with that both and that it's a very big glass right now. And, um, you know, the heaviness that sometimes I feel um, when negotiating the news that I get, you know, daily uh, of things that are so concerning. Um, 
Yeah. So the, the the incalculable suffering, right, around the world. Uh, some of us feel it to some extent in our own lives. I have a dear friend who's dying right now in a hospital yeah. in Minneapolis. Um, lots and lots of people have lost loved ones to COVID, uh, a million in this country alone. Um, and then daily news about the savagery in Ukraine, so much of it aimed at innocent civilians. So it's very real. It's, it's very heavy. And the question comes, what do the wisdom traditions have to tell us about this? Uh, how, how might they guide us in responding to the world? Yes. You know, the the psalms have expressions and they were songs you know they believe they were songs of of joy and celebration but also of grief and lament and anger i mean it was they were all kind of it was very human they were very human songs mm-hmm. and and so um i you know i know we were talking about uh reading some poetry today uh, you know, it's expressions of people wrestling with the questions that we're talking about. Um, right. Holding, right. what do I do as a person who cares, as a person who um, wants to be uh, active, wants to be, but also feels a little stuck at times, you know? Yeah. And we turned, as we so often do, to Mary Oliver as, as one of our go-to poets, she has this poem called What I Have Learned So Far, um, which maybe both of us could read. I could start out, and uh, you could then read it in your own voice and manner, uh, and maybe with two readings of a fairly brief poem, uh, our listeners will be able to, to follow along. We'll, we'll also post it on our Growing Edge website. So... In response to the question, what do the wisdom traditions have to teach us, Mary Oliver writes this poem, What I Have Learned So Far. And I I even like the title because it's what I've learned so far. Uh, There's more to be learned. She says, meditation is old and honorable, so why should I not sit every morning of my life on the hillside looking into the shining world? because properly attended to delight as well as havoc is suggestion. Can one be passionate about the just, the ideal, the sublime, and the holy, and yet commit to no labor in its cause? I don't think so. All summations have a beginning. All effect has a story. All kindness begins with the sown seed. Thought buds toward radiance. The gospel of light is the crossroads of indolence or action. Be ignited or be gone. Thank you, Parker. So shall I read it in my voice? I'd like to hear it, yes. Yeah, it's always nice to hear a poem twice, you know, once to take it in the first time and then a little deeper the second time. What I've learned so far. Meditation is old and honorable. So why should I not sit every morning of my life on the hillside looking into the shining world? 
because properly attended to, delight as well as havoc is suggestion. Can one be passionate about the just, the ideal, the sublime, and the holy, and yet commit no labor to its cause? I don't think so. All summations have a beginning. All effect has a story. All kindness begins with the sown seed. Thought buds toward radiance. The gospel of light is the crossroads of indolence or action. Be ignited or be gone. I, I always love the way Mary Oliver, who's often thought of as a kind of romantic nature poet, has a tendency in some of her poems to hit us with a two-by-four in the last line, right? Uh, yeah. Right upside does. the head. Be she ignited or be gone. Uh, after this kind of idyllic reflection on meditation. But she she plants the seeds for that earlier in, in the poem, even uses the word seed in, in the poem, but she says, can, can, can one be passionate about the just, the ideal, the sublime, and the holy, and yet commit to no labor in its cause? I don't think so. So I guess, in a, in a way, she's, she's saying, whatever suggestion you're taking from the world, and she's told us that delight as well as havoc is suggestion, maybe the suggestion you're taking is to enjoy the world and life. Maybe the suggestion is to grieve what's happening in the world and in one's life. But whatever it is, there's an impetus to action in it. Uh, There's a a prod, a goad. Do something. Um, Enact it. Feeling is important, and we need to be more feelingful, and we need to honor our feelings. But what is feeling about if not a goad to action, a spur to action. And I think she's saying, be ignited or be gone. You either, you either act on these feelings, or I think she would say, I don't want to hear about them anymore. Ah, that's so interesting, because I got that. But then when I've read this poem more than once, um, the begone, to me, uh, was personal as well as for, for the for the person she's talking to, the 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 reader of the poem, be ignited, be a light, or else you will be diminished. You will be mm. cease to be your full self. Cease to be what you can be in this world. Be ignited. Be a flame. Oh, I like or, that a lot. I haven't or, seen that. Or be a, um, a dead ember in your own heart. So, um, so I, I like both interpretations of it. Um, one kind of goes outward and one kind of goes inward. You know, what do we lose um, when we don't ignite? Um, it's a great, for me, that's a great insight uh, because it's true, isn't it? It's absolutely true that the more you, you stuff bury, hide out your deepest instincts as, as an actor in the world, the more diminished you become yeah. as, a, as a human being. Um, I think, you know, there are lots of folks that I want to talk to, and I, I want to talk to myself this way too, 
if, if you believe this stuff about love, truth, and justice, if you feel deeply the violations of love, truth, and justice going on in our world, who are you if, if you don't act on what you feel? Who are you if you don't walk that particular talk? And that, that particular talk, love, truth, and justice, covers a big, big territory. It does. It does. And, and how that, you know, and part of the holding the both and for me is, you know, where, where am I effective? You know, where, where, is, where do my personal gifts, where, do my, where does my sphere of influence, uh, where do I have a window? Where, where do I have an access point to, you know, taking some kind of agency for the things I love and believe in? Um, you know, for some people, uh, I remember we had Barbara Kingsolver on the show, and she t- told me once that uh, the way she was raising her children was her most uh, political act. You know, that the kind of um, parent, the kind of thing she was bringing into their lives um, and thoughts, and uh, that that was powerful action. And I really agreed with her. And um, you know, as an artist, what does it look like for me as a person who lives in Indiana, in the middle of the Midwest? What does that mean for me? Uh, what does it mean um, for a person of my age? What does it mean for, um, I mean, it's just, there's so many questions with that. But I kind of always come back to a, a thought of yours, Parker. Um, when I first read the book, Let Your Life Speak, you talked a lot about the things that we love deeply and truly by nature, that we lean into, not because someone told us to, because that was the right thing to lean into, but because we did. And I've always thought that's a window into how my most potent um, presence in the world could express, how my most potent activism in the world could express, mm. you know. What do I love deeply and truly by nature? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a clue there in how I might be of service to the ideal, the sublime, the holy that yeah. Mary Oliver is talking about. Yeah, and, and that, Carrie, that links directly back to your earlier insight about the meaning of the word be gone at, at the end of her, her poem. That if, if you're not, if you're not, you know, embodying that which you feel called to lean into just by virtue of your very nature, um, you're gone as a human being. It's not that you need to walk away. You've already walked away. In in energetic terms, you've disappeared yourself. Um, And and, and so this is a point in this conversation for me, Carrie, um, where where I need to be reminded of things that you and I have often talked about because we believe them very deeply. Yeah. You know, one of them is the importance of small acts. Any one of us is capable of only small actions. As our friend Greg Ellison says, another great interview we did on this program, whatever is within three feet or so of your own life, that's, that's your sphere of influence. And, and everyone has three feet or so around them as long as they're 
they're drawing breath. And, and so to value the small acts that are within our reach, rather than doing what I do sometimes when the, I guess when the intensity of evil gets so urgent and pressing in my life, and, and I want to take the big act, I want to mm -hmm. make sure that this person never occupies public office again. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that we do whatever is necessary to stop Putin in Ukraine. I want to do whatever is necessary to make sure that people of color and all the folks of, of many colors living in poverty have the easiest possible access to voting because that's an inherent right of every U.S. citizen. I want to make sure that women have freedom of choice over their own medical needs. And so the temptation is always there to, to strain for that which I can never reach, the big act yeah. that, would, that would score a decisive victory in, in those arenas. And I'm, you know... I know this is foolish. I'm too old to to think weird thoughts like that. But this is a this is a confessional moment for me. Yeah. I do that. I go there. Yeah. And then I further disempower myself. And that's where your interpretation of what it means to be gone comes back to me because I do sort of disappear in those moments into my own frustration. Well, thank you, Parker. That's so honest. I so appreciate hearing that because, you know, I can wrestle with that too. You know, when big issues um, are pressing on us uh, so heavily, uh, to want to change something in a big way, um, how, how can I turn my climate grief into saving the planet? <laughs> you know? And, um, and, I have to keep coming back to uh, Gregory Ellison's three feet. I have to keep coming back to what do I love? What do I have access to? What is the spirit I want to present in the world each and every day? And there I have agency. There I have incredible power. I can't get inside Vladimir Putin's head and change the machinations of his mind. I just can't do that. But you know, there are things that I have great control over and great power, and that's how I show up and, uh, and how I um, use the gifts I have, the resources I have, um, and the spirit that I have to offer, you know. They, then, then, I can, then I don't get stuck, you know, because I think that, that when I lean into wanting to change the large in one swept, fell swoop, you know, um, because uh, it's so heavy, um, I get stuck, you know, because there's yeah. nowhere to go with that. Um, yeah, and, and um, because, you know, because you have believed that way for a long time and have kept reaching into or leaning into that, that belief, you have a long track record of writing music volunteering, making public appearances, where lots of lots and lots of other people have been encouraged to think that way as well, have been energized to enact those small things in their lives. I mean, one of the things I think 
people appreciate so much about your music is the continual celebration of small things. Mm. Uh, the, the cup of ginger tea. I, I'm sure everybody sends you ginger tea bags. <laughs> I do get ginger tea, and I love it. <laughs> I do and the love knitted it. gloves and stay, you know, stuff uh, on it, on it goes. But that's a witness in in the world, and you know, it it in a in a sense, you you people can look at you and say, well, she has a big canvas to paint on because she's a recording artist and has been at it for a long time. But that, that the big painting that you've done has been a million million small strokes, yes, um, of the right palette, um, and. I don't think anyone should, you know, ignore that when they look at people who have public lives and and just forget that minute by minute by minute it's the small brush strokes on whatever palette is available that eventually become a larger painting. People do that in raising kids, people do that in nurturing families, people do that with with friendships, people do that in their own vocations. I know people who've painted beautiful stuff in business. I know people who've painted beautiful stuff in ministry. And, you know, all all the stops in between on whatever that continuum of vocations may be. So it's, it's, it's a powerful reminder, you know, when we look at somebody whose life seems to have effect, that that, that effect is the result of a, of a million, million small moments, small acts, small inspirations, small risks, sometimes big risks, and just doing it uh, as an exercise of full human presence in that moment, the exact opposite of be gone or of disappearing yeah. yourself. The exact opposite of disappearing. And, you know, we can disappear into apathy. She calls, she says, indolence. You know, we can disappear into all kinds of things, or take agency. Um, but I, I also want to just, you know, affirm again the all the different ways that people have agency. Um, I don't know if I've told this story uh, on the podcast before, but you know, my friend Suzanne, who's a weaver, this is a, a, several years ago, but there was a um, she she she's a Weaver, she teaches weaving, and she a knitter. She used to own a, a knit store and taught knitting. And uh, there was a, a, a protest that was going on uh, at the at the square for something she was really uh, uh, passionate about. And but Suzanne is a quiet soul by nature, and so what she did is she got all her knitting buddies, and they and they went down to the protest, and they sat in a circle and knitted, you know, with little flyers. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just being there uh, shouting on, on the corner with a sign just wasn't her style. But she could sit there and knit with a, a group of other knitters. And it was interesting because I went and I remember sitting and knitting with them for a while. And I remember um, people who would come up and sit down mm -hmm. and ask what this was about, who might not go up to the person on the corner with mm -hmm. the sign. You know, maybe right. they would. Maybe they wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. But. Uh, and those and that expression was really important too, uh, but she had found a way that worked with her, um, her way of being in the world, 
with her sensibility, with people who um, she could, you know, she could sit with in in community and solidarity, uh, you know, and maybe reach people who might not be reached in another way. So mm-hmm. that was always such a just a great example for someone being creative with what it is they love. It's a know? beautiful example. Yeah, you know, I'm not I know sure people I, yeah. who. I know people who work in the community garden, who mm-hmm. go and work at the community garden. There's a community orchard. Um, we had Ross Gay on the show at one point. He was very involved with our community orchard. That's planting trees for a generation from now, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's, you know, people, people access in all kinds of ways. And I just go back to you, Parker. It's like, what do you love? What do you mm-hmm. love? And how do I channel what I love into some kind of uh, expression in the world for these things? Um, yeah, and, and I, about. you know, for me, the question, what am I willing to die for, has never kind of resonated deeply because those would be pretty rare moments. But mm-hmm. the question, what am I willing to live for, to yes. really live for, is a question yeah. that makes, uh, you know, a lot of sense. Plus which, the whimsical part of me, Carrie, really has to say about your, your knitting circle there. I would have looked at them, at you all, and said, plus which, they have needles. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I'll, we I'll were going to make ourselves bomber jackets that said, you know, radical knitters on wheels, you know. But, you know, we didn't. Yeah, I think there's a motorcycle <laughs> gang in there somewhere. That's great. Well, you know, I was thinking about my dad and maybe a quick story about him as a Chicago businessman would lead us into the next poem, which is one you brought to us. And I'd love for you to read it when uh, in, in a moment here. So my dad was a blue collar kid from Iowa who came to Chicago in the Depression and got a job with a company, stayed with them, rose in the ranks over 60 year period and um, was uh, one of the kindest and most generous and generative people I've ever known in a very quiet way. Um, He didn't have a big philosophy or spiritual apparatus around all that. He just did it. That, That was his way of life. So when he died at age 81, I have this vivid memory of, of going home to be with my mother and my sisters and of walking downtown to the little city center in Wilmette, Illinois, where there was a cleaner, because on Dad's dresser there was a ticket saying he had left some things there. So I walked in to claim these things and bring them home, and there were two uh, late middle-aged women behind the counter, hard-working women who looked like life had not been easy for them. And I walked in and I said, I'm here's, here's my ticket. Um, and, and they, they looked at me and they said, Oh, this is for Mr. Palmer. Are you related to him? And I said, yes, I'm, I'm his son. And one of them said, "We, we were so, so sorry to hear about your father's death. The other one said, Every time he walked in here, he left with us feeling a lot better than before he had arrived. Uh. And that 
that was somehow a summation of my of my dad's life of small kindnesses, a million million of them, uh, which I saw a thousand times uh, a day, really, or a month, a year. Waitresses in restaurants and uh, attendants at gas stations, as there were in the old days, and two women working in a dry cleaning establishment. So I know that that stuff counts, and um, I never want to get so swept up in the vast darkness of this world that I forget that that simple lesson that I should allow to challenge me moment by moment, day by day, to just do what I can. So Small Kindnesses is the title of this poem that you brought to us, Carrie, by Danusha Lamaris. You want to read it? I, I do. I do, Klasi. I, I, you told me that about your father before, and I love that story, and it's also just quite a testament. Um, but I'll read this uh, poem now, and we'll, we'll talk a little more about that. Um, Small Kindnesses by Danusha Lamaris. I've been thinking about the way when you walk down a crowded aisle, people pull in their legs and let you by. Or how strangers still say bless you when someone sneezes. A leftover from the bubonic plague. Don't die, we are saying. And sometimes when you spill lemons from your grocery bag, someone else will help you pick them up. Mostly, we don't want to harm each other. We want to be handed our cup of coffee hot and to say thank you to the person handing it. To smile at them and for them to smile back. For the waitress to call us honey when she sets down the bowl of clam chowder. And for the driver in the red pickup truck to let us pass. We have so little of each other now. So far from tribe and fire, only these brief moments of exchange. What? If they are the true dwelling of the holy, these fleeting temples we make together when we say, here, have my seat. Go ahead. You first. I like your hat. I love that poem. I do too. I love it a lot. And she's really talking about uh, these basic instincts of kind of what we lean into uh, as, as a species. Not always, but very, very often. Um, let, me, let me read the poem one more time and then yes. let's talk about it. Small Kindnesses by Danusha Lamaris. I've been thinking about the way when you walk down a crowded aisle, people pull in their legs to let you by. Or how strangers still say bless you when someone sneezes, a leftover from the bubonic plague. Don't die, we are saying. And sometimes, when you spill lemons from your grocery bag, someone else will help you pick them up. Mostly, we don't want to harm each other. We want to be handed our cup of coffee hot and to say thank you to the person handing it, to smile at them and for them to smile back, for the waitress to call us honey when she sets down the bowl of clam chowder, and for the driver in the red pickup truck to let us pass, 
We have so little of each other now, so far from tribe and fire, only these brief moments of exchange. What if they are the true dwelling of the holy, these fleeting temples we make together when we say, here, have my seat. Go ahead, you first. I like your hat. Yeah, it is it is a lovely poem. And I I I I think, you know, her speaking to um this idea that perhaps this impulse to kindness, this impulse is our default, you know. We learn to um, suppress that default. We learn to be wary of that default. We learn all kinds of things, but that perhaps that's our our default as human yeah. beings. And yeah. I I tend to agree with her. Um, yeah. I, I um, do too. I do too. Two things of interest to me, Carrie, as I think about <clears throat> this, and and actually reading also the note about the source of the poem. So she wrote this in 2019 and it was published in 2020. Um, I wonder, that was, that was pre-pandemic. Yeah. And, and her lines about, we have so little of each other now, so far from tribe and fire, those lines are prophetic about how much less we have of each other and, or have had over the last couple of years than we, than we were having access to in 2019. So I, w I wonder what her reflections are today. You know, mine clearly are that we've been deprived of moments of the sort she names in the poem, which is certainly has to be part of our, about what I think are collectively sinking spirits about our relational opportunities in life. So, it, you know, for me, it's a good gut check to say, Okay, Parker, your spirits about this are sinking, but that's understandable in light of how you've had to spend at age 82, 83, the last couple of years just in order to, to stay safe. Um, but don't, don't confuse it with fundamental human reality. Uh, don't just, that would be a bad mistake. Uh, see it as an artifact of, of the times that we simply haven't had opportunities to exercise that relational muscle in these small, simple ways, um, you know, the way we did before in, in pre-pandemic times. The other thing that interests me a lot, and, I, and this is just, you know, my profession, I guess, as a sociologist or a political sociologist or an observer of the human condition, is how I absolutely agree with you that that on an individual, instinctual level, this is who we are and this is how we are. The, the wonderment for me is how so much of this gets lost yeah. when we become political animals. Mm -hmm. So much of this gets lost when we become political animals. I, I mean, I know people who wouldn't hurt a fly personally who would always say thank you, who would always be kind, who would always be respectful, and yet will vote for candidates who manifest the opposite of those qualities. Not by degrees, but a, hundred, uh, but a complete about face. Yeah. People who manifest no respect 
for anything or anybody. They care only about power. We, we have to somehow decode the, the losses that come between the personal instinctual life and our lives as political beings, political creatures, which of course we all have, whether, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we think of ourselves as political or not. We're, we're all citizens and we're all either doing or not doing, saying or not saying things that either support or endanger the dream of, of democracy. What's reassuring about this poem is that at base, in, in, the, in the stuff and substance of the human community, we, we don't want to hurt each other. We don't want to harm each other, as she says. And, you know, and that goes back to our the, the very beginning and the topic of this conversation. What do we do when we see uh, others around us or get information of others and other parts of the world who are not operating like this. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's heavy to hold. Um, our wonderful producer and editor, Alison Quance, was talking about a children's book uh, before we started recording this called Whimsy's Heavy Things. I think it was. Whimsy's Heavy Things. It's about a little girl. It's that sometimes children's books can really address really important, complex things. Um, and this little girl was pulling a wagon full of rocks around. And there's, a, there's an image with that. You know, all of us right now feeling like we're like that little girl pulling a wagon full of rocks around. Um, you know, what do I do with climate grief? What do I do with information of people treating each other not with respect and dignity or even humanity? You know, what do I do with that heaviness? What do I do with... Um, the eroding away of certain parts of our democracy right before our eyes. You know, I don't, I don't want to get complacent, you know, like in a way we've had so much in the last few years, it's been coming, um, you know, the, between the pandemic and just, you know, it's, it's been one thing after another. Um, uh, sometimes, you could only get so much white noise before you have to close your ears, you know? And so, um, you know, not becoming complacent, not just closing my ears and heart um, because of that, because it, it might put one more rock in that wagon, you know? So, um, so, so again, I don't have an answer here. And I think both of us are saying we don't have an answer here, but we do have a conversation um, an honest human conversation about, um, I, I don't use the word evil very uh, easily, and I don't use it lightly. Um, I, but um, right now there is a shadow in the world and things that I would call evil, you know. Yeah, me, me too. And, and so uh, what do yeah. I do with that, you know, and how do I negotiate that? And again, come back to Danusha Lamaris's poem, it's these small moments, it's this, um, the evidence that I see everywhere I go uh, uh, of our default and uh, as being one of, uh, of good impulse and 
um, and a friend of mine, he saw the Dalai Lama speak, and the Dalai Lama was like, they were doing this um, debate about our you know, are, are human beings like uh, by nature bad or by nature good, you know, and an age old question, you know, and he was saying that, well, all I know is that when we do things that are hateful, it feels really bad, <laughs> you know, it feels awful inside. And he says, but when we do things that are generous and kind and align with that impulse in, um, the small kindnesses poems, we feel good. We feel right. And uh, he says, and that's all I know. You know, so it was, it was, and I, I think about that sometimes. All I know is that when I lean into this, when I take agency there, I don't disappear. I stay aflame. A I don't know. And I make my own small change in the world. Yeah, I think the problem of, with politics, and I, this is for me to be thinking about, because this is a rock I can maybe lighten from my load, you know, remove from my load, get out of my wagon, as it were. Um, the problem with politics is that it, it removes us five, six, seven, eight, ten, twenty, a hundred steps from that person whom we would otherwise care about in that face-to-face -face immediacy that of interaction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's just a constant reminder that we that we all need. You, you you never cast a vote that doesn't have implications for individual lives. So how how would you treat those individuals face to face as compared with how you're treating them with this vote? And that leads me to one more thought about the nature of love. Um, I think one of the recurrent lessons of humankind, and certainly for this member of humankind, is that love isn't easy. <laughs> we, 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 we like to say love is the answer. But all of us know in, in intimate relationships, as well as in our public lives, love can be very challenging. Love can yeah. be very tough. What do we hang in with? What do we walk away from? Where do we challenge and say, I got a boundary here, and I'm not going to allow you to cross it. And where do we cross our own boundaries in order to try to, you know, reach into the life of, a, of another person? I've often quoted Dorothy Day, one of my heroes, founder of the Catholic Worker Movement, which, is, which had in its day such an impact on the lives of the poor in, in major urban centers, keeping them alive, really, with soup kitchens and other forms of basic service. Dorothy Day was very fond of quoting Dostoevsky, who said, love in action is harsh or fierce uh, in comparison to love in dreams. Mm. And and I, I for me, politically, that translates into, is it not loving at certain times to do the hard work of trying to liberate a person from political convictions that are bringing them down? Is it not loving at times to confront each other and challenge each other about beliefs um, that are fundamentally toxic? 
it's a complicated question. It, it opens into all kinds of possibilities for arrogance about what other people need. But I really think that if I'm, if I'm to love my brothers and sisters as I love myself, I, I need to be as concerned about their addictions as I am about mine. That's so well said, Parker. Um, I've really appreciated this conversation today. You know, I really have. Um, because it's something, you know, we, we were talking about it uh, personally, the two of us, and it's really nice to have this conversation with uh, with the community that, that listens and participates in this um, podcast. Um, so thank you. I want to thank you for being so honest and real about... Um, where you're at with this and well thank you for thank i mean i think i've tried to be pretty transparent about it i learned a thing or two during this conversation and whenever i learn that's a small miracle really <laughs> <laughs> oh learning hey. is the thing and know? now now i want to hear you sing a song because okay. i'm oh. betting that you got something that is very apropos of our topic well, uh, yeah, I was going to do a song called uh, A Long Way Up. And it was a song written because I was feeling um, the weight of the rocks in the wagon I was pulling behind me. And, um, and, that, and grateful for the people who walk with us uh, on the good days and walk with us on the harder days and uh, have conversations and listen and uh, help us process and uh, celebrate our, uh, our, our impulse to good action. Um, you know, uh, so it was, a, it was kind of a song of, yep, here we are, uh, and also gratitude um, for those walking with us. So it's got a long way up. It's a long way. 
days are short and the stars are light We live in time outside of time Slow dancing as the new moon shines You humming in my ear We're gonna climb this ladder on by wrong We're gonna count our blessings one by one Thanks so much, Carrie. Perfect song to begin to bring us to a close. Before we close, I'd really like for you to speak to our listeners about your new Substack page, oh. which I've subscribed to and I'm following avidly and I keep learning from, and I want to give other people a chance to do that too. So tell us about it. Well, um, just briefly, uh, Substack is kind of like um, a platform for online magazines that individual writers or musicians or um, people who are uh, being thoughtful uh, have. It's called Substack. And uh, some wonderful people I know, writers, do have um, Substack pages, uh, like Courtney Martin, who was on the on the um, uh, podcast at one point. So I, I now have a Substack page, and there's reflections and music and videos and... Um, also unlike Facebook, you know, there's no ads, you know, and, and, um, uh, and there's a lot more chance for personal 
uh, communication, like comments and and being a little more in touch. So, uh, so yeah, it's it's Substack, CarrieNewcomer.substack.com, uh, and it's and called a gathering of spirits. It's called a gathering a of spirits. Song I love and a title I love. And I'm just loving the conversations we're getting into there. And often um, we talk about Parker Palmer. There you go. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> it's all good. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm one confused dude. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to The Growing Edge with Carrie Newcomer and Parker Palmer. Thank you for joining us today, and I hope you'll check out the next episode. And don't forget to visit our website, newcomerpalmer.com, newcomerpalmer.com, so you can join in the conversation, too. And now we have a favor to ask. If you like today's show, rate us and leave a review on iTunes. It's the best way to help us reach new audiences and to bring more voices into this conversation. All the music you heard on today's show was written by our own Carrie Newcomer. And much gratitude to Gary Walters for performing the song, The Clean Edge of Change. And wild appreciation for Allison Quantz for creative envisioning, direction, and production, and for children's book suggestions, and for just being another reason to believe in the goodness in humanity.